Stay connected this winter with this unbeatable deal from BreezeLine. Get reliable, fiber-powered internet for just $19.99 per month with all-in pricing for two years. But that's not all. Your first month is on us. This deal gets better with a free modem and installation along with free Wi-Fi your way whole home coverage. Safeguard your network from cyber threats and keep all your devices connected and secured with this amazing offer. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires March 3rd, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. For years, I just dreaded going to the dentist. But at Advanced Dentistry, I don't have to. First and foremost, they want you to feel comfortable when you walk in, like you'll feel it. Whereas in the past, I might have gone into the dentist and thinking, I might feel some pain at some point. But with IV sedation, it can be something that you don't dread. If you've been avoiding the dentist because of fear, worry, or just not wanting to be judged, you're not alone. Visit NoFearDentist.com to learn how IV sedation can change your life. Hey everybody, I'm talking to Jake Tapper today, uh, an old pal uh, that I used to see all the time. I mean, he used to come around all the time. Actually, it was weird how much he used to come around. Well, I mean, I'm not saying that Conan and I had an inappropriate <laughs> relationship and the That's show it. was an excuse for us to meet, but that had, you know, if somebody were to accuse me of that, I don't know what I'd say. If you can do it, it's natural. That's my feeling. <laughs> As I said in the 60s, if it feels good, do, do it. it. Do it. That was actually a motto. I know. Actually, no, I know. I know. People actually said that. I know. I know. <laughs> I was just listening the other day to the song, If You Can't Be With the One You Love. Honey, love the one you're with. And I think is Stephen Stills wrote that. And even like he years later repudiated. He's like, no, that's actually not such a great. It's, re- it's, it's really not a bad advice. Super great really, system to run really, your life by. Really bad. Yeah. There's a girl sitting next to you and she's. Wa- I mean, what? I know. I know. It's like, <laughs> listen, here we are. It's really, honestly, that song is about who is closest yes. to you right now yes. physically. Yes. The whole song is just about like. Hey, you know, come on. You might, you know, you got someone in your heart, but come on. Come on. <laughs> you know, that was the, the, the whole this motto of this. Come on. Let's it's go. Overrated. Yeah. Well, now you are uh, you are at CNN, right? You're getting ready. I this even is my office. I even see like a suit and tie on a on a on a hanger behind you. You want to know why this? So we did a pre-tape with the Australian prime minister. Friday and yeah. it's gonna and it's gonna air not uh it's gonna air next Sunday. So this is the suit. This is your Sunday Sunday clothes that you got to. T- this is the, oh. well. This is just so it matches. You're right. That's what I mean. That's what I mean. Yeah. 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 And then this is this is a giant Al Smith for president poster. And I and I someday you'll come to DC and I'll give you a tour. But my entire office is the posters of losing presidential candidates. <laughs> that's it. That's that's the theme. Nice. I have like a Nixon from 1960. I have a Reagan yeah. from 68, a Reagan from 76. I, I have a, a couple Hillary's. I have yeah. a Trump, Trump Pence 2020, but then some really good old ones too, like John Fremont, the first Republican presidential. Yeah. I, my grandfather was a uh, Republican uh, political op, you know, operative. He was the chairman of the Republican Party in Kendall County, Illinois, for 29 years, I believe. And he was the director of conservation for the state of Illinois under Governor William Stratton. So we had a whole attic full of 
memorabilia like you know like a photo of my grandpa on you know on the when he was a delegate to uh, elect ike and that's incredible yeah do and still, do you still have that stuff i have i i know i i i've parted ways with a lot of it because most of it was nixon shit which i'm just like like i don't know i just don't ha- i can't have that much of a sense of humor about nixon and there was but there was one great one that i used to have and i honestly i think i gave it to my brother that was like a and it wasn't a losing. I think it was the one that he won, and it was like this his second election because it was this kind of groovy trying to hip up Nixon, <laughs> and it was all the people that supported him. And I think like Wilt Chamberlain was one of them. Like all these like caricature, you know, like drawn faces of like, and it was just like Nixon's the one. Like yeah, like that's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. So did your grandpa was was he the kind of guy that uh, would would spend a lot of time talking about how? Uh, the, the, those Kennedys stole Illinois in 1960. He would n- no, not that so much. He would talk about uh, that. I mean, he mostly was was just like that Eisenhower business kind of stuff, you know, like that that kind of old school Republican. I'm, yeah. you know, I mean, you know, the racism was of the mild, but it was there for sure. Uh, you know, rural Illinois. Um, sure, but it was mostly just. Low taxes, business, and it also, I just think also too, it's just like, it was just the old white guy thing. And the notion of government handouts and thinking that Eleanor, the thing I used to hear is that Eleanor Roosevelt ruined the country. (laughs) Because, because she got everybody all riled up. And, oh, uh, that Eleanor! Yeah, yeah, that Eleanor, and, uh, and got everybody kind of involved in in the notion of a welfare state. Like that was the sort of thing. So my uh, my grandparents, um, my, my dad's parents uh, passed when I was young. They were from Chicago. My my mom's parents uh, lived longer, and they lived in North Carolina. So my connection to politics was basically hearing them complain about Jesse Helms. Yeah, and and because uh, they they were they were of the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill. They were academics. Um, yeah. And uh, but just just they just they just watched Jesse Helms race baiting for decades and decades and just couldn't believe it worked. So did you grow up in a fairly liberal household then? I mean, you grew up in Philly, which is a de- which is a pretty much a Democrat town. Yeah, uh, I grew up in Philly. I mean, there was a machine um, there, right? Like similar yeah. to Chicago. Yeah, I was born in 1969. So my parents were very much motivated by the uh, anti-Vietnam War movement mm-hmm. uh, and the civil rights movement. But I, but it wasn't a, a democratic household because, like as you note, the, the the democratic machine was very powerful. So, like for instance, uh, as you know, I do a little cartooning, mm-hmm. and you know, when I was when I was lit, the very first political cartoon I ever did, there was a ma- the mayor of Philadelphia, Frank Rizzo, uh, notorious racist, yeah, de- Democrat, super, former police, super corrupt. Yeah. Super corrupt, uh, racist Democrat was a you know police chief first, et cetera. And the first political cartoon I did was just a drawing of a man's face. And it said, bad Rizzo, bad Rizzo, bad Rizzo, which was the message that I got as a three year old in the in the Tapper household. <laughs> so it wasn't about it wasn't about uh, uh, Republicans are bad. It was about Frank Rizzo is bad yeah, and, yeah. The, and the Democratic machine is bad and they are bad for you know the black community. They're, they're bad for for union households. They're bad, you know, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was not. I mean, I grew up around politics. You know, I mean, you know, going to election nights at the the somebody's headquarters at an empty spot in the strip mall, kind of thing. Oh wow, you did that? Oh That's yeah, amazing. yeah. Because my grandmother would go to those things, and 
what it mainly did, and I did not pay attention, I didn't pay attention to the politics of it until I was in college. Like, right. I just, it all just was kind of like, okay, yeah, that's how everybody votes and everything. And that's, you know, and Republican, okay, yeah, that's, and I, but I didn't really process any of it. I wasn't thinking about it. I wasn't thinking about the world, uh, you know, in, until I got to be in, in college. But one thing that it did teach me from my exposure to it and and fundraisers thrown in our backyard and stuff like that, but it was all through my grandmother because my grandmother was sort of the engine behind all of it because my grandfather was kind of just, he just wanted to play cards in his insurance office with his pals. Yeah, No, no golf, but fish and hunt and, and play cards and drink, you know, drink, sneak drinks during the day. But I have to say, I, I had the, a big um, influence on my desire to know more about politics uh, was comedy, was uh, Mad Magazine and oh, yeah. wanting wanting to understand what, what they were talking what about. What their references they, were. Yeah, and because they did a ton of politics, yeah. a ton. Um, and Mad and, and SNL um, both, and I was watching SNL as soon as I found out about it. I mean, like. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I would sneak down and watch it on the black and white in the living room. And um, for the kids listening, there's a TVs used to be in black and white. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I, I remember, I mean, I remember very vividly a skit in 1980 on SNL where they were making, where I think Bill Murray played Ted Kennedy. It was, it was the, the premise of the skit was, and I haven't seen it since, although I should probably go look for it on YouTube, but the premise of the skit was like every presidential candidate in 1980 was had moved into this one family's house in New Hampshire and they were just like all of them were trying to do it yeah and 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 like and one of this and like Ted Kennedy came in and he had just like obviously they made an allusion to Chappaquiddick uh Ted uh Bill Murray was like covered in water or something like that anyway and so it's just like a desire to understand what this obviously hilarious sketch was about yeah 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 I can see that I that's um there were for me, a lot of that was, I mean, not so much politics, but just like historical things from Looney Tunes cartoons, like what they were making, you know, like World War Two. Like my first understanding of World War Two was all Bugs Bunny cartoons and like, uh, you know, the cop, you know, like, who is Tojo, you know, and all this stuff. And like really hideously like. Oh, racist, ridiculously racist, racist ones. Racist anti-Japanese yeah. stuff. And they would they would put that stuff on still. You know, oh, I, yeah. I would see it as a kid on regular TV. But the, totally. thing, the thing that I mainly took from my exposure as a child to politics was this is so boring. This mm. is and I think that that's. My my younger brother ran for Congress after Trump was elected because he just was energized in anger and uh, he's a civics teacher and high, a civics high school teacher and he took a group of students to what was going to be Hillary Clinton's inauguration and they right. still had made all the plans and they went to Trump's inauguration and it, the, they were it's, you know like students crying because it was just yeah a, it was dark such a dark angry sort of. American carnage. Yeah. American carnage. As George W. Bush said, that was some weird shit. Yeah. And then the next day was the Women's March, which they just felt, you know, it was just, you know, grinding the gears from one extreme to the other of just feeling excited and how many more people were there and the energy. And it it energized my brother to think I'm going to. 
and he, you know he maybe should have started with like the state house but he he went right for for congress and well, trump uh, started with the white house i mean like, i know, you know i know i know not? but from illinois yeah, from Illinois, uh, the one that um, Lauren. Oh, the nurse. Yeah, yes. Lauren. I can't remember her last name, but she's a fantastic okay. candidate, and he Underwood. Knew. Underwood, exactly. Yeah, um, she's great. Yeah, she's fantastic, and he he actually really liked her a lot, and kind of knew in the going, going like, okay, so how yeah, do you do? She's going to win. So he lost he to the primary, at, but how do you do? He actually came in among the like he was, I think, fourth, and the top three were all Democrat, like like t tried and true, you know, candidates. One guy had run for Congress a few times and one was a mayor of a local city, you know, like a, a neighboring city. So he did pretty well, you know. I mean, I did lots of fundraising for him. But even he, you know, he found out that job is just asking for money. And it doesn't, and it, especially in, if you're in the house, you're at, you're every two years you're running. So you're just always on the phone asking for money. And yep. then even the actual legislating to me seems like PTA meetings, you know, like for every sexy televised hearing, there's a zillion closed door hearings about tariffs yeah. and stuff like that. It's it's a real I mean, if you want it to be, it is a real job where you can have a huge impact on people's lives. Yeah. But there are a lot of members of Congress who want it to be like. This is how I'm going to get on TV and this is how I'm going to go on Twitter and troll people. Yeah. And sadly, that is uh, it seems a, an increasingly higher percentage of the members of Congress. But you're absolutely right about the fundraising. Yeah. Which is why, by the way, if anybody I know uh, ever that I ever come in contact with, like is going to run for Congress, I say, well, just run in a safe seat because then you don't have to stress as much about the fundraising. Right. Or the you can spend a little bit more time on the legislating. Um, and given the fact that they gerrymander so much now that they're only like, I don't even know, 50 seats that are even competitive anymore, you know, run in a safer seat if you can, just because yeah. given the givens. But yeah, no, they spend at least like a third to a half of their time asking people for money. It's a horrible way to live. Horrible. And it, it also, too, I mean, you, you know, you always think about like, what's the I mean, from just different jobs that I've had, like, what's the charge you get from it? Like, what's the what's the payout that you get? And, you know, unlike for a lot of people in show business, it's the roar, you know, like it's the approval of a crowd and stuff. You know, I've directed television commercials and there's the fun thing about beat the clock, you know, trying to get all these things done. And with politics, there is like, yeah, you get to have an effect, but it just much, it must be such a muted effect, you know, in, in so many ways. I think that the good that that can be done that people just don't see or don't know about is huge. I yeah. mean, there are a number of, you know, one of the things, I mean, everybody should work in Congress at some point, just like mm -hmm. be a staffer right out of college. If you don't have anything to do, move to Washington, find your party, find your member of Congress, be an intern for six months, just see how it works. But there's the tremendous amount of what they do is constituent service, which means, yeah, tracking down checks, helping to connect people with their government, yeah, all yeah. that stuff. That, the, that city, can have a, the city set my garage on fire. Yeah, but yeah, all yeah. that stuff, which can have a huge, huge impact. And yeah. people don't know how to do that. People don't know. People feel so disconnected from their government. They don't even know how to. And by the way, the government doesn't make it any easier. Right. But like, you know, somebody will say to me, I don't, you know, they're making, you know, like a store owner will be like, they, they're not letting me put up signs out on my own property. So people know my stores here. And I'm like, you gotta, you gotta Call reach your out to congressman, your, yeah. your congressman or your governor, your city councilman or whatever you're it, just because they're there for you. And if you put pressure on them, 
they'll they'll do something about it, but it, the disconnect is so strong. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Ready for an amazing deal? BreezeLine's fiber-powered internet, starting at $19.99 per month, offers the reliability you deserve and security you can trust. Whether you're streaming, gaming, or working from home, we've got all your needs covered with speeds up to 1 gig and our two-year price lock guarantee. This deal gets even better with two free months of internet, free equipment, and free Wi-Fi your way to protect against cyber threats. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires July 8, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. Can't you tell my love's a crow? Now, you started out in kind of the PR side of politics and kind of working in politics for messaging, but I guess it would be partisan messaging because it was on behalf of candidates. Kind of, because this is what happened. So I went, so after college, I graduated from college in 91. I didn't know what I wanted to do. All my friends were applying to law school. So I applied to film school just because, well, you know, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I had a, I wanted to be a cartoonist. I wanted to have a comic strip. I, you know, it was 91. So there was like a lot, you know, there was, um, I guess it wasn't, it was like the Soderbergh era of like, you can like with a hundred thousand dollars and a camera, you could make an independent movie kind of mm-hmm. thing. So, um, so I, I did, I went to USC, but uh, you wanted, but I mean, did you think you're going to end up being a filmmaker or you're, you still just, yeah, kind of like screen, that area, you know, that area screenwriter. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I didn't, the truth, I was 22. I had no idea what I wanted to do. Yeah. This was some direction that would like stave off me having to like go wait tables or, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever. Um, anyway, I did that first semester. I hated it. I came back East and a member of, a, fr- a friend of our family was running for Congress. Mm. That's what happened. Like a guy, the local, my parents are, are divorced. My mom still lives in Philly. My dad lives in the suburbs. And uh, a friend of his forever um, that he'd known for decades was running for Congress, this woman. And so the reason I say kind of on the partisan stuff is because she was a Democrat, but she was running in a Republican district. So is really about, you know, selling her as a moderate, selling her as a, as somebody who was going to be a, compromiser yeah. problem solver that's not sort of stuff. too again, dem- not too much of a democrat right in a lot of ways yeah right it, you know, we we're trying to appeal to uh, republicans right i mean you know she couldn't win just with the democratic vote she needed to win with republican votes but again this i was um i was literally 23 at this yeah. point so i mean this is a long time ago but then i did that for like she won and i did that for like a year and change and then i did just like regular public relations while i tried to figure out what i wanted to do and then i stumbled into journalism by doing freelance writing and then I was off and running. Uh, just on a side note, what didn't you like about film school? You said you hated it. Well, first of all, I I, I had to pay for it. My dad wasn't paying for it, oh. as, as opposed to college. Yeah, so I, I, I would was, hate that too. So I had to do that. Second of all, I was living 
at Adams and Hoover, uh, which was kind of bleak. This is before the LA riots. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I, I felt very alone out there. Mm-hmm. I didn't have like a group, a support network, whatever. My class was a lot of people who were much older, who were like, I was 22. So they were, you know, in their 30s and 40s. Oh, wow. And, um, you know, who were like trying to like do a life course correct. Right, right. And I, I also just didn't find it just wasn't for me. Yeah. Film school. It just wasn't for me. It wasn't also like it wasn't it's so hard to explain this to kids today, but like it was it was pre iPhone. It was pre digital. So like I was filming like on an eight millimeter camera thing and uh, it was the technology was crap. And I don't know. I just remember sitting in film production class listening to the Clarence Thomas hearings on my yellow Sony Walkman thinking maybe I'm really more interested in politics than I am in film. Yeah. Yeah. Now what, what, why did you steer clear of say partisan politics? Why did you decide to go and kind of more, you know, in this sort of era, uh, this, this sort of area of neutrality that, you know, I'm not, yeah, I'm not really, uh, I'm not particularly partisan. Uh, I'm just not, I'm just, I ideologically, I have opinions on things, but I'm pretty ambivalent about a lot of policy stuff. And I just, I don't think that either party has the answers mm-hmm. to things. It's tough to say these things now with the, you know, with so many people in the Republican party embracing actual like lies about the election. Right, so right, right. It's not, you know, obviously I'm, I'm pro democracy. So and pro like people's votes should count and, you know, pro facts and truth and not, but as a general note, like I don't have an opinion on tariff policy or tax policy or, mm-hmm. or, um, you know, a lot of other things. And, and uh, I just, as a journalist, I'm much more interested in asking questions than deciding what the answer should mm-hmm. be. What do you think it was about you? I mean, because have you always been that interested? And and what was it about you as a young person that felt so connected to political issues? Well, I just always found uh, politics fascinating, and I, it's more just like the fact that I'm a history buff mm-hmm. um, that I that I found politics fascinating because it's just like the first draft. Um, but yeah, no, when I was in college, I would like go to the periodical section of the library because, again, this is before the Internet. Yeah. And um, and I would read The Nation and I would read The National Review and I would, you know, I would just read anything I could. I just to to get the perspective of anyone, anyone smart. I would read William F. Buckley. I would read, you know, I, I remember in taking a history class at Dartmouth and talking to some of the students who were conservatives and they were upset that they thought that the professor was too liberal and wouldn't give them a good grade if they actually wrote what they wanted. And just like that, you know, I, I just was always this open-minded about this sort of, of politics. I mean, I, obviously I think, you know, racism's bad, demagoguery is bad, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. But, mm-hmm. but as a general note, I, I, I don't think of one party as having all the answers and, you know, that's just my general view. Right. Although nowadays it's well, like I said, it's pretty you know, striking. That, it's pretty striking. And it's, you know, it's more than just, I think, the the that the election's a lie. Like it's all this other stuff that's like, you know, I mean, I just saw Matt Gates giving a speech. And I mean, he's like a clown, obviously, but like, but at it, you know, to a group of young Republicans giving a speech that's just every bit of kind of sexist, racist venom. And it just seems to be like there's this, like I always remember this notion of Nixon's silent majority. I mean, in looking back on it, I, you know, cause I mean, I heard about it at, you know, when I was a kid and I've heard about it, but it always just kind of seemed like, oh, you know, there's all this social progress and, you know, and, and 
civil rights progress for women and 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 gays and and people of color and and that's all good and the silent majority seemed to be like whoa 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 maybe it's not so good and that that was kind of what that like that was it seemed to be permission to say all this modernity and all this progress i disagree with it i mean one of the things about nixon was uh what his his uh Law and order. You know, what did he right. mean when he talked about law and order? Yeah. What does uh, anyone ever mean when they talk about law and order? Right. And also remember, I mean, this is during an era where, you know, cities were burning. Yeah. Uh, and, and that sort of thing. Um, but no, I hear you. I saw Matt Gates's comments. Did you see he he said something um negative about Mike Pence? Yeah. At the same at the same speech. Did you see uh, Aaron Burnett? Uh, yeah. Uh, the, here, Mike here, Pence's former chief, chief of staff. staff did saying, you see what he said? Yeah, yeah. Saying like he probably won't be voting next. I'm surprised if Florida law enforcement let him speak to a room full of teenagers. Yes, yes. That's some pretty good stuff. Mark Short, uh, the chief of staff. That's I mean, for the I mean, the Pence team is pretty yeah. buttoned up. Oh, they sure are. Yeah. When he said that, I was like, What? Yeah. Like yeah, that yeah. was that was savage Mm -hmm. that was a savage comment Um, no there seems to be a fair amount of enough is enough from from you know quote unquote good republicans uh which you know good good okay you know move on from that guy i guess but just don't move on to another one like him you know i i don't know uh it's 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 just it's complicated because now now and this is like i say i grew up in a Republican household, sure. in a Republican yeah. enclave. Yeah. And then, and then, and I, I mean, and I will say too, that like of my grandfather's children, none of them are Republicans. They're all liberal now. You know, I mean, the ones that are still alive are, are liberal. They were liberal. Nobody stayed really Republican. A couple of people in the family are still Republican, but it's coupled with religiosity also. So that those two are a powerful combo. Nixon was really the first one, though, I think, to really unleash on the news media. Yeah. Uh, Nixon, Nixon and Spiro Agnew, who referred to us as nattering nabobs of negativism. negativism. Yeah. 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 Um, But I mean, the anti-media stuff, the anti-journalism stuff has been I mean, every politician hates journalists because we expose them or cover them or nitpick or whatever. Right. Right. But it it real Nixon and then um, and then it kind of. I don't remember Reagan doing it so much, but because um, he kind of just had this view like we don't we don't care. We're just go- we're going over your right, head. And, right. Um, there's a great story about uh, Leslie Stahl when she was in the White House press corps doing a story that was devastating uh, about Reagan. And then one of Reagan's aides said that we didn't they didn't care because the images in her piece were so beautiful of Reagan because of the way the stagecraft. Sure, sure. George H.W. Bush, I remember him doing it, uh, annoy the press, vote for Bush, like holding up a bumper sticker. But there's this but there really is this thing now where this trend in the Republican Party of being so anti-media that you're not even criticizing individual stories or individual publications or channels. You're just any what they call legacy media, Mm -hmm. anything Mm -hmm. we're not participating in. We're not going to. I mean, and it's just. That is kind of I am kind of worried about that for I don't know who's going to you know what, what's going to happen in 2004, 2024 for the uh, for the Republican nomination. Um, but it does feel like there's a whole group that just will not engage that yeah. doesn't want that only wants to that wants to avoid 
the news media. Yeah. It wants to avoid us entirely, even if we are fair and neutral and try to, you know, bend over backwards to provide all sides and perspectives. Again, not including pro-democracy, anti-democracy. Mm-hmm. We're, you know, we have to be pro-democracy. But um, it does it does concern me in terms of like, because well, you just said talking about like, you don't want to just move on to the next version of yeah. what we had. Yeah. Well, like I said, the thing that's hard for me is that if I see a Republican yard sign, an election yard sign that's Republican now, it means something different now. It means something different because there's been so much just outward vocal support of very ugly, anti-democratic, anti-progress things that to say, you know, it's like saying like, you know, Charlie Manson had some good ideas, you know, like it's like a dune buggy army. That would be fun. And it's like, yeah, but you're missing out on the murder part, you know, and it's kind of to Charles to Charles Manson. Yeah, he was. Yeah, that was he was going to have a he was going to enlist black people in a dune buggy army and he was going to lead them in the race war. Yeah, yeah. You say that about about Republicans. But but let me but let me drill down, because so on State of the Union uh, Sunday, I interviewed Liz Cheney. If you saw a Cheney reelect Cheney sign, you wouldn't think that. Um. Well, I mean, yeah, no, now, now, but it's kind of like, but she also said some really terrible, you know, like some really awful things about abortion and, you know, okay. like spread lies about abortion and things like that. So it's kind of like, there's some useful bacteria now, you know, but it sounds like you, uh, you, you follow Don Winslow on Twitter. That's what it sounds like to me. Uh, yes. I, he, and, well, I mean, I, I he's it's impossible. I don't follow him. I think I just am constantly seeing his videos retweeted into my into my yeah. timeline. Yeah. But no, but I mean, but she's also I, I also am familiar with her with, with her past. And she has always been pretty paleo conservative. She's very conservative. Yeah, I'm yeah. not talking about that, but but I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm just trying to challenge your premise that if you see a Republican election sign, it means all the same thing. And I'm saying but it doesn't necessarily mean that for Liz Cheney right now. I'm I know about today, but I would challenge Liz Cheney to say, why are you still a Republican? Because she's very conservative, as you just know. I know. I know. But but when you're she's fighting, when fighting your for the brand, Party. you know, like when your brand turns rancid, why do you continue to be with that brand? There are independents in Congress. You're referring to the Republican Party as rancid. Not yes. Liz Cheney. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. 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 Absolutely. And I mean, there are only t- you know, two independents in Congress, right? Bernie Sanders and and Angus, Ang- Angus yeah, King. Yeah. But I mean, there's got to be some in the House, isn't there? Any in the House? No, there used to be, yeah. but there aren't any more. I don't think there are. I might be wrong. Yeah, um, it would just be real. I just, it would be hard for me to be. I'm a small government, low taxes kind of guy, but I'm still with this party that's actively endorsing the lying about the 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 election you know that that's that's denigrating the process of showing that the uh, that the the election was one fair and square and that these people were trying to overthrow a democratic election majority of the of the people elected they went from january 6th and then voted to not certify the election that's a problem yeah i i hear what you're saying yeah i, I guess i guess the argument would be and you really should have Liz Cheney on this podcast. Um, <laughs> but but the I guess the argument would be that they still believe in a strong military, okay. and conservative social values and small government and low taxes yeah. and fewer lower regulations, et cetera. And they're fighting for the Republican Party. So the other person I had on So Did the Union. Was, I understand. 
was Larry Hogan, who's the two, very successful two-term governor of Maryland, and he might run for president. And, you know, that's what he would argue. Right. He's fight, he's fighting. He's fighting for this party. Yeah. Liz Cheney would say that. Adam Kinzinger from your home state of Illinois would say that. Yeah. Mitt Romney would say that. Now, there are also a bunch of people who did not vote to, you know, to not count the electoral votes from Pennsylvania and Arizona, which is what you were just referring to who maybe aren't as outspoken mm-hmm. as the people I just mentioned. And they say, we're still fighting it too. We're just fighting it more quietly uh-huh. because we don't, because if you fight it loudly, you get, you get picked off. And like, you know, Kinzinger was redistricted out of his seat. Cheney is a very tough reelection fight in the primary, et cetera. And then there are a bunch of people that went along to get along and still like maybe privately they think, although I don't, I'm, I don't know this, but like maybe privately, some of them think, that was ma- a mass. Uh, I'd really like to put that in the rear view and just go move forward. Right. So it was a fever that we that the that our, our party became ill with a fever and we're waiting for it to pass. There are people who voted uh, who who signed. Remember that crazy Texas attorney general lawsuit for the Supreme Court? Like, don't count the votes from these five or six states mm-hmm. that voted for Biden. And there are members of Congress who signed their names to that. But when push came to shove on January 6th, did not vote to not count the electoral vote. So maybe maybe that's an example of what you're talking about, like a fever, like they got caught up in it and they thought, oh, wait, this is getting out of control. There are people who um, the senators from Tennessee, uh, um, both very, very conservative Republican, both very, very pro-Trump Republicans, uh, said they were going to vote to not count the electoral votes on January 6th. But ultimately, after January 6th, after the attack and the death and all that, did not vote that way. So maybe there, you know, maybe it is, you know, maybe it is something that is fungible and evolving and organic. We had this conversation on my show last week because there is this race for governor in Arizona. And the two main candidates are one is just a full on election denial. Cuckoo. Yeah. Yeah. Endorsed by a former television journalist. She is. Yeah. And, and 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 the governor of Arizona, Doug Ducey, says it's all just an act. She's just like, this is all phony. She's this is none. Of, it's just to get elected. Right. But but I don't know her, but that's what Ducey says. In any case, it's all he, she is full on in. Yeah. And then you have kind of like the lie adjacent candidate who is endorsed by Ducey and Pence and the establishment, who's the kind of person who says, well, I'm just, I just don't think the election was fair. You know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And we had this big debate on our show last week. And Casey Hunt, who's one of our anchors, she was basically trying to explain, like, there is an argument to make that you have to. I don't think she was putting this forward as her opinion, but like there is an opinion out there, a school of you have to give space for because so many people in the Republican Party base right now believe this lie. You have to give space again. I, I, and this is just a theory. This is not mine. It's not Casey's, whatever. You have to give space for some of these like lie adjacent individuals to win so they can start to steer the party back towards normalcy. Now, I don't know that I buy that entirely mm-hmm. uh, or or at all, but I'm just saying like there is kind of like a it's like the Kinsey scale, you know? Yes. If human sexuality is not yes all one or the other. It's like there's an evolution of the lie. Yes. And, you know. And uh, while you and I are pure sevens, no <laughs> lies, and like some people are pure ones, right? Maybe a lot of people in the Republican Party are like, you know, in that hazy diff. Hazy. Yeah, definitely the first time anyone has compared the big lie to the Kinsey scale. Yeah, put that down. Impressive. Mark that down. Mark that down, AB. <laughs> He's running a memo right, right now. Right, right, right. Here head, we go. Head of communications. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Hold oh, the oh, presses. Oh. 
<laughs> Speaking of the Kinsey scale, I met uh, that amazing actress who was in the the HBO version of that. Well, um, Lizzie Kaplan. She's. Have you ever met her? She's so cool. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, she was on the show a few times. Yeah, she's great. She's also. Have you ever seen Party Down? Yes. Yeah, she's fantastic in that. Although she's. Uh, I don't think she's in season three. I don't think she is either. I think she's the only non-returning one. Um, Too big for britches, probably. I think there was something about like trying to film that and this other uh, Fleischman is in trouble. Uh, so, but Party Down is great. An underrated show. Yeah. Uh, I think it's on Hulu. Yeah. And it's fantastic. And Adam Scott, the leading man of my heart. What can I say? <laughs> Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, the best film of the franchise. What a it's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Can't you tell my love's a grow? Now, now you enjoy comedy and stuff do you ever like you know do you ever think about hanging it up and like going you know not just half showbiz the way the tv journalism is but i mean full-on showbiz no although um uh i'm not funny the way that you are no. and conan is no, no. You, know. you know what i am no you know what i am i'm like the the dog that can stand on its hind legs and walk and uh -huh. people are like oh look at that but if you compare it to like other hind walking creatures, you're like, that's not really actually that good. But you're like, I'm a TV anchor who knows a little about comedy and can like talk to you guys without, you know, right. Sounding, sounding like a, a mannequin. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Um, but no, but I do, I wrote these two novels and I am trying to get them turned into a streaming show and not with me writing it, but, but, uh, and that might happen. And then, but just I as a cash cow, you don't have to really do anything for I really think it'd be good. It's not even about the money, although. <laughs> although I'll come on. I'll take the money. Yeah, but, you could but... use some more posters of losing candidates. <laughs> well, there are a lot more. They're probably there pricey. Yeah, <laughs> there some of them are. Yeah, I have one. I have one here of Strom Thurmond uh, as a states' right Democrat that I've covered with, uh, uh, you know, uh, the posters of uh, Shirley Chisholm and everything, just because to, to reflect that I do not support Strom Thurmond. Sure, sure. But, that was expensive. That was an expensive one. You you learn which ones are like really like it turns out some of these characters, William Jennings Browning, uh, like, you know, it's a dime a dozen. <laughs> it ran three oh, times. Yeah, yeah, sure. Whatever. It ran three. Whatever. He was nominated three times. Yeah. They kept putting him up. <laughs> they kept putting him up. Adlai Stevenson. Well, baseball, that's not baseball was so young in those days that they didn't really understand that concept of three strikes. Anyway, they have. Uh, let, let me see if I can adjust the camera. They have it so so you see see that that's a that's Alton Parker 1904. Yeah, it's a it's a kerchief. Oh yeah, it's, 
very strange. They used to do this at the turn of the century. Like everybody had kerchiefs instead of posters. I have and here. Were... I'm going to show you. See that up there on the wall. Yeah. Len Small, Good Roads Governor, Kendall County Boosters for Route 47. That's on a cotton. That's on a piece of cotton fabric. And yeah, that, that was the first that my uh, grandfather uh, managed that guy's campaign, his his campaign for governor. Did he win? Uh, he did. He did. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. I'm, I'm familiar with the cloth banner like paper was not. I don't know why. I mean, yeah. it just traveled better, maybe. And you could. I don't know. It's tie it up and put it down. It, yeah. Yeah. It's from the end of the 19th century to the very beginning of the 20th. And then they stopped it. Then yeah. they stopped the, the kerchief. The kerchief banners. I have one. I wish I could show you this one. I'll send you a picture of it. It's a uh, Horace Greeley, uh, the Go West young man. Uh huh. Sure. Oh, serious. No, that's a uh, what is he? A sucker's born every minute. No, it's P.T. Barnum. Horace Greeley is uh, Go right, West. Yeah. Go, Go West young man, and he has a neck beard. He shaved his face, sure, sure. but he let all his neck hair grow. <laughs> it's good look. It's good look. I mean, if you can pull it off, yeah, Horace yeah, pulls yeah. it off. All right, you can bring, but you can ask me about politics. If you all right, all right. Up. No, no, no. I, I mean, I no. I just it was. I, you know, I like, uh, I like when someone uh, practices their art, and that was that was very artful of you to you the, the changing of the subject. Yeah, yeah. The the shift into something. Usually, usually the version of it that I see on here is flattery. If I'm talking, I can't remember who it was. Somebody did it like so obviously. They went from talking about something they didn't want to talk to about just flat into just flat out blowing smoke up my ass by the way and you i've already told you this but you know how how big a fan i was of andy richter saves the universe controls uh, the universe which is controls the universe it was my title yeah. and it's always that is what tells me it was a terrible title because nobody ever gets it right it's my fault not your fault i said saves and it's controls. yeah yeah it's controls that's it's, the one with the pu the puppy suit yes right? yes the puppy coat yeah that just so, that just so had fantastic. it's like 20th anniversary of its of its premiere a few months ago so which good. is kind of crazy thank you yeah no i i i i love doing that show and i um andy barker pi was another was the one that uh, conan created and jonathan groff wrote that was that was actually my favorite i love that and i, I you know i love i you know people tell me oh they were before their time they should have been on it. and you know maybe they were but i mean but also you know eh, what are you gonna do what are you gonna do I remember interviewing uh, Albert Brooks uh, for a profile I did of him back when I was at ABC for Nightline. It was right when Drive came out and he was the villain in Drive and he was fantastic. Anyway, I, I you know, like I'm sure you were, uh, I've been an Albert Brooks fan since the 1970s. Uh, and I said to him, I asked him about that, about being ahead of his time. And he, he, he clearly uh, has been asked about it before. And he says, He's like, it's nice, I guess, but there's no special line for you at the bank. No, if you're ahead <laughs> yeah, of your yeah, time. Yeah. yeah, like it was basically like it doesn't get me anything. Yeah, yeah. He told Conan once at a party when Conan was uh, Conan was expressing agita about career stuff, and and Albert Brooks told him, and it was like at a Christmas party, he just told, oh, none of it matters. He's just like that's his thing. Yeah, none and of it I, matters. And I, I am on board. I, I mean, he said it, and I said it, but I, because that's one thing. That when people would fret after post Conan interview and would say to me, "How was that? Was it?" And I would say, "It doesn't matter. It doesn't. I mean, even on like the the granular the granular level of does it put butts into seats? Eh, who knows? You know, did you have a good time? Did you you know? Did you do you feel good walking out of here? Then it worked. Then it was good. But in terms of like for it really mattering, it 
in terms of whether it puts food on anybody's plate or whether any right, you know, anything wrong is righted. No, it doesn't matter. It's just time that you spent, you know. So I don't know that I fully agree with it, but I, I mean, it is funny. I, I think I think what you guys do is funny and important and matters. But I mean, I definitely think that journalism matters, um, which is obviously a, a different field. But I, I have the same attitude in a way. I remember one time somebody asking me what my legacy was going to be as a journalist. And I said, journalists don't have legacies. We don't. I mean, yeah. they, if we're if we're lucky, one of us is remembered per decade. Yeah. Murrow. Right. Cronkite. Right. Right. The kids, kids today have no idea who Peter Jennings was. Yeah, they don't. Yeah, yeah. They have no idea. He was like my hero at, C at uh, ABC, but they don't know. So all you can do is do the best version of the facts available today, uh, taking a stand for, you know, things that are for decency and accuracy and then uh, and questioning authority and then hope and then go home to your family yeah. and your wife and your kids. And, you know, I mean, but I, I mean, the none of it matters thing. That's, that's, that's classic Brooks. He's going to put that on his grave. I bet. <laughs> well, his point to, to Conan was look at Clark Gable. Biggest thing in the world for how many years Clark Gable, who gives a shit now? Like who's saying Clark Gable's name? What kids know about Clark Gable? And I mean, I can't, there's like, you know, there's adult comedy writer types that you know like they don't know pick somebody you know, like they don't right. they don't know the band the band or, yeah. or the band rush you know like right. even like from you know they just you don't know it's all just this and it gets worse and worse we're just the the disposability of culture and things which just all it means to me is just be nice to your family it just That's you exactly know right. it just means That's like it's you can't worry about any of that so all you got to do is like Look at the personal and make the personal as 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 good as you can. That's and it's absolutely a hundred percent. And one of the things that I always am shocked by when I go on social media and I see how many people are just determined to be the worst yeah. possible version yeah. of themselves on social media. And I'm like, you have an opportunity on social media to be the best possible version of yourself. Mm -hmm. Like you not give, you know, try to see people's points of view, hold your tongue learn, grow, you know, whatever. And not just social media, then as yourself in general, you have yeah. the opportunity. Once you're like over 40 and you have some perspective and you've either gotten to where you want to go or you kind of realize that you're not going to, like, you know, just being a good person, a good dad, a good husband, a good, you know, boss, a good employee, that's really all that matters. Yeah. That's, that does matter. Absolutely. I think with social media, one of the things uh, that – the reason social media or one of the reasons the social media is the way it is and the tone that it takes is because it's very young. Social media and this, the, the dialogue is either geared towards young people or controlled by young people. And and there, it's a lot more cool to say everything sucks than, you know, not everything sucks. You know, it's like, also the say, algorithm. Yeah. Yeah. You get you get rewarded for negativity you get reward but i think because right? it's playing to young people when i think about myself in my 20s everything sucked fuck this you know the fuck the man this is all bullshit i'm gonna do it all different i you know like i'm not gonna compromise and then you get old and you realize oh no it's either you just you compromise is just that's just part and parcel of of not being an asshole throughout what, your entire but, but life I'll, what Artist, what successful artist has never compromised? Uh, I don't. I mean, probably or we, politician we haven't or heard, journalist. We haven't heard of them. 
you know? Right. I mean, like what, what, I don't know one, I can't think of one. No. I mean, if right? you're, if you're a communicator and especially if you're supposedly part of a representative democracy, what your principles are, are secondary to reflecting the people that put you in office. I think, you know, you I think? mean, yeah. And I mean, well, I think that's a, I think that's a balancing act. I, I do absolutely. think that. I, but you'll see, you'll see people. I can't, Kristen Gillibrand used to be like a lot more pro gun when she was, uh, she represented this one. Yeah. Yeah. This one congressional district that was a, a more, that was yeah. rural and had a lot of gun owners. When she, when her scope broadened, she became less pro gun, you know, uh, if you want to be a purist, yeah, that's that sucks or whatever. But it also like that's part of the job. That's part of the job. If you you know if you you know if if you represent a a district that has a lot of people in the military, you have to look at military funding issues differently than if you were in an area sure. that didn't have people that lived in the military. Sure, that's just. And that you oh that's a compromise yeah but it's also like it's also living in a society to quote the Joker um, it's 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 being a sensitive person who's doing the job that you're elected to do. Who's your favorite Joker? Oh God, I don't give a shit about any of that stuff. I re- you know you realize of course that I know, two I know. different actors who have played the Joker have won the best actor i know academy award like it's not a nothing question i know i know but i just don't care you're not a comic book i used to go to comic-con every year i like yeah but i mean that that for work uh you know (laughs) you don't so you don't care about any of that stuff comic books this i i see almost all the big marvel movies the batman movies i don't really care that much about this whole this whole brooding it's all very serious and it's all very it's all marvel guy no i'm not even like one or the other because as a kid i was a dc guy as a kid i read all sure. i was more into dc because marvel seemed impenetrable there's just like two you know dc was well, it was all that was all the science fiction yeah. all, i found marvel is all very like uh very science fictiony and with the exception of uh of green lantern dc was really just on this yeah earth and, and it was just much. yeah and it was the you know yeah. the justice league and you know, and I liked The Flash, and they were just sort of more simple stories because I'm a simpleton, basically. <laughs> um, but no, but like the Batman, the self-serious stuff, I just – that's why like probably one of my favorite ones is Thor Ragnarok because it's yeah, a, it's, fun. it's a lot of fun. And it, it takes all that su- superhero shit seriously but not too seriously. It has enough – just like the right touch of sense of humor. The new one has a little too much – the new Thor has a little too much of a. I haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen it's, it. Yet. I, it's I'm like a, it's, I'm still, I'm still catching up. It plays to laughs too much, and that that always happens to things when they sort of subvert the genre and play for laughs a little bit. I always feel like okay, that's a little bit's good, but don't do it too much. You know, man, you're like you're you're really the Goldilocks of uh, superhero movies. I'm a dick. You're, I'm a you dick don't want when it, it too, comes to too super- hot. I, exactly. Too, too hot? Nope. Too just cold? Right. Uh, right. Just yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God damn it. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. exactly. Boy, that's rough. <laughs> no, I'm still catching up because like, you know, on Disney Plus that they have, you know, they have the vertical where it's like um, or the horizontal rather where it shows you all the movies in or in chronological order, not of chronolo- not the chronology that we live in, but the chronology of the Marvel Universe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, so in any case, I'm still like I realized I start I, I started watching the new thor and then i realized wait 
I still I haven't caught. So like I started back because there were a whole bunch of Spider-Man that I hadn't seen. Anyway. I, yeah, that's, there's too many Spider-Mans. I gave up on Spider-Mans. They're just too <laughs> there's too many Spider-Mans for me. You're really just an old grump. I am. I am a little bit. The- and I also, I will say, I resent the ubiquity of superhero culture and that it has damaged film. I think sure. that it has it has crushed delicate flowers of you know, like all the all your favorite sort of seventies independent art. Absolutely, films. They it's hard to imagine you know. even even Little Miss Sunshine being made today. Yes, yes. It's just it's, yeah. They, it's all those between ten million and a hundred million dollar yeah. movies are no longer made. And everything now has to be intellectual property. It has to be about something. Like you, like I was just saying, you could write incredible new story about you know the high seas with characters and plot and all this stuff, and it would have less of a chance of selling than Captain Crunch the movie. Because no, I know I would see that. See what I, I see, what, but we're all we've all been infected by it. And it's now here's just, my question: Would Cap and Crunch be trying to get to the bottom of Count Chocula, Frankenberry, and whatever? Do you remember there was a wolf? I forget what the wolf yeah. one was. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I forget the uh, you know. Well, but we're we're I we're Boo Berry. We're all the ghost ones in Cap. We're in Captain Crunch's universe. I don't know. I'm saying. I'm asking. Wow. I'm trying to. I'm trying to. Somebody somewhere, somebody is watching this. Yeah, yeah, and and writing it down. See, Captain Crunch to me, he would just be—he'd be a colonizer. He'd be trying to push uh, sweet, oh, crunchy stuff onto local indigenous people, and he would learn his lesson, and he would become an anti-colonialist by the end of the movie. And but but all the natives would have to admit, like all this sweet, crunchy stuff is really good because oh, and I know what it is because he finds the place where crunch berries grow. And that's where the colonialism really, they take over the place where crunch berries grow, but he ends up becoming a freedom fighter at the end. I mean, like, you know, I don't know why you're not writing this down. Because I'm lazy. I'm very, And I know, by the way, and I know know who would be a great Cap'n Crunch. I know who would be a great Cap'n Crunch. Zach Galifianakis. (laughs) (laughs) Well, listen, I gotta, I gotta let you go pretty quick here. So we should, we should move on to the. To the, well, go ahead. What were you going to say? I was going to say Zach Efron. But anyway, keep going. <laughs> no, Zach Galifian. Oh, listen. Once you do the screen test, yeah, Efron's prettier. But you will want Galifianakis as no, your Captain good. Crunch. No, he's good. He's good. Um, so where are you going? What I mean, you've got your the the novels that you've written. I mean, and you're, and you're kind of still writing. Those. I, I, I'm happy right now. Yeah. I'm really, honestly, deliriously happy. I love my job. I love my family. I love, I'm able to, to write novels and people publish them and i'm able to like have occasional conversations with folks like you that who make me laugh and i i'm i'm here i'm i'm not yeah i mean i'll keep i'll keep doing this until they make me stop and then i'll teach journalism somewhere or keep writing novels or whatever but i mean i'm 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 not headed anywhere i've yeah. arrived so where so within the the context of your job at cnn there's no making it bigger or doing more there's just keep doing the same yeah, I really like it. I love I love the people I work with. I love the people who work for me, yeah. who I work for. I mean, I I love our management. I mean, I really honestly, it's not smoke. I really I'm very I'm very content. That's that's as much success as one can hope for is not the I think knowing it, I think realizing while you're while you're in it instead of, you know, I was a young man in a hurry for a long 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 time until I was no longer young, and, yeah. but I was still in a hurry, yeah. but now I'm really in a good place. I mean, I worry about normal things like 
and I worry about democracy. I, I really do. I really do worry about the United States and our ability to to get past this idea of whether or not elections are, I mean, just the fundamental principles. But I can't, you know, but <laughs> that's really outside of my immediate life and my immediate life. I'm very happy. Uh, OK, well, then the last of these three questions is what have you learned? What what kind, what can you wisdom can you impart to my listeners to podcasting dumb kindness uh is when you're in your 20s kindness is is underrated you don't you don't appreciate it you don't understand it you might think it's weak you might think you don't have the time for it uh but kindness is everything kindness is everything and when you're in a position where you can be kind you should you should do it as much as possible i look back at times in my life when i was not con- the times in my life that i regret the most are not things I messed up or, or mistakes I made, or even, you know, car accidents I was in or whatever, the times I regret the most are times when I wasn't kind. Yeah. So that's just, uh, you know, it's something I say to my kids, I got a 12 year old and a 14 year old and just, just be nice to yeah. that kid. You don't know what that kid's going through. Yeah. Uh, you know, his or her parents just got divorced or it's probably, it's not easy being somebody at school who people think is annoying, like just trying to be nice, yeah, just trying yeah. to be nice. Yeah, that's it. That, that's my it's not particularly original or wise, but that's the most important lesson I've learned. It's it's a good one. It's a good one because it doesn't cost you anything, really, usually. I mean, you don't want to get walked on. So it's, you know, no, that's no, no. A, that's I'm not saying. being. A, yeah, that's a different thing. But yeah, but no, but you and also too, the thing that always amazes me is people that just are concerned with output like that they just want stuff from people, you'll get a lot more output if you're nice to them. than A hundred percent. You know, so like even if you're crass and all your, your motivations are ugly, be nice. It just makes it better, you know? Yeah. And you absolutely. feel better about it too. Andy, I, I, uh, I'm I looking for the Captain Crunch movie all right. starring Andy Richter <laughs> with Zach Alvinakis. No, no. It's, it's more and a special appearance by Zach Efron. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Jake, and uh, thank all of you out there for listening. And I'll be back next week with more Three Questions. Bye. The Three Questions with Andy Richter is a Team Coco production. It is produced by Sean Doherty and engineered by Rob Schulte. Additional engineering support by Eduardo Perez and Joanna Samuel. Executive produced by Joanna Salataroff, Adam Sachs, and Jeff Ross. Talent booking by Paula Davis, Gina Batista, and Maddie Ogden. Research by Alyssa Grawl. Don't forget to rate and review and subscribe to The Three Questions with Andy Richter wherever you get your podcasts. Can't you tell my love's a-growing? Can't you feel it in showing? Oh, you must be a-knowing. I've got a big, big love. This has been... A Team Coco production in association with Earwolf. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com.